All right, gang, welcome back to the best Tuesday you had all week. We are stoked to be here. Dave Littlejohn in studio with Justin Bruggeman. That's right. We got Justin bringing up the uh, other microphone today. Welcome to the True Well Show. Uh, and so first, I, I got to say, uh, I'm so relieved to have the election. Beh- oh, my gosh, it's still going. <laughs> it's never ending. <laughs> Been a week, and we're still like, well, we kind of called him, but we're sort of still counting to the, uh, you know, is are we? It does it take longer because it's more secure or less? Don't answer. Unknown. <laughs> gotcha. What a what a kooky and bizarro land of um, who, who expected what to happen and why and who knows. Uh, you know what I know is that largely. As we are used to it, um, Portland was happy to vote for the entire state. Correct. Okay. And so, uh, you know, it's it's delightful that uh, certain things have happened that, uh, like, like it, I know one of the favorites locally was Measure 114, right? Mm-hmm. Which was the uh, restrictions on gun purchases and magazine capacity and so forth. And uh, I think it was north of 70% voting no. Correct. Uh, that one, of course, is just, I think the technical term for that one, by the way, and I know it's a financial firm or financial show here, right? But here's the technical term for how that one's going to go down. Cluster. Yeah. <laughs> right? Just legal cluster. All, so, all ready to happen. Is there going to be a run on purchases between now and the beginning of the year? Maybe. Right. Um, you know, my, my suspicion is that that thing's going to get just all kinds of uh, cobbled up. Yeah. And, and it's because um, now I'm, I'm going to see if I can't pull this one, too. But I let's see. Election results, Oregon. Right. There's, there's we can Google that, can't we? And there's there's probably a Web page somewhere that covers it. There we go. Secretary of State. I think we'll start with that. Um, so if if we talk about. um the statewide measures in particular. So this is the one that's really interesting to me, Measure 111. Okay, now that was the one that says we have a, we're going to amend the Constitution to say that affordable health care is a right, right. For, all, for Oregonians. Um, but it says it needs to be balanced against the requirements to fund schools and other essential services. So if I understand this right, we want affordable health care but we don't know how to pay for it. Right. But it's now a constitutional right. Yes. What could go wrong? Nothing. Of course. <laughs> like, like, okay. Okay. Uh, the vote was surprisingly close, 50.65 to 49.35. Still not formally called, I don't think. It's still unofficial at this point. But the devil's going to be in the details on these. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I think that's the thing that a lot of folks say. It sure sounds good. Right. Like, yeah, we need affordable health care. I said, well, how do you plan to do that? Right? Read the fine print. <laughs> yeah. Well, but that's that there's Maybe. no fine print. Right. Right? Because when I say the devil's in the details, this is the part. And, and now I'm just going to try to do a little service to helping educate the electorate. Right? And that is that bureaucrats have to write the policies and procedures to implement these rules. So how would you put rules in place to make this happen? How would I? 
Well, to our listeners, if you're if you're out there, and, and some of you are probably going like, I didn't vote for it, so okay. Or maybe you're saying, well, yeah, how would you do it? Okay. And and, and and this is the issue is I, I believe that it the if you think it, like ask yourself why about five times why or how okay in right. in in politics like why do you want this because of this why because of this why because of this why because to get to the fifth one if you're still like have an explanation for it okay then the next question you say is how are we going to accomplish it by doing this and then and then it's like how is that going to work we're going to do this how, what is that going to impact right like you just kind of have to ask the 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 who what when where why series but you have to ask that like three to five times deep to get to where you find the gotchas it's the five whys and the five hows yeah yeah it's it's a, <laughs> let's just we're just going to 5x the 5 w's <laughs> and the H's in there, right? So if you do that, that that's, I think, a really good habit as a voter to get you to think through the issue. The other one is to think, okay, who proposed this and why? Right. And those are, those are other elements that I think are really interesting uh, because there are some things where I look at it and go, I'm just not sure. Right, I think that there are unintended consequences. This one in particular, I don't know how you're going to not defund schools, police, fire, and other emergency services to provide air quotes affordable health care right. that's not affordable. really defined. Right, or affordable. when this year across the the base, the we're seeing approximately an 11 percent increase in premiums for health insurance this year. So year over year increases, if you're seeing renewals right now, and many of you will be as you're getting into, if you're on the exchange and you're on an annual scenario, a lot of people, you're going to see this in Q4, you're renewing your insurance. Okay. Just just realize that you're looking at 10, 11% increase. Yay. That tracks really well with Social Security, I think, sees, says 8.3% uh, increase in January Something for like Social that, Security. Yeah. Uh that's just how inflation works. Mm -hmm. So, okay, how are you going to keep it affordable? I, we can't, you know, even the cheap plans aren't affordable. Well, hospital costs went up. Everybody's cost of labor went up because they had cost of living increases too. How do you figure we're going to balance that? And Pay here's more the, for less. Yeah. Sometimes. Here, let me really poke the bear. I'll guarantee <laughs> that someday I can't get elected when I say something like this. Okay? This one's fun. Justin's like, oh, we're going to light a fire. Um, how do you, uh, unless you're going to tell people, like tell healthcare providers, you must provide this and this is what you will be paid, which doesn't sound voluntary to me. No. Which is also then makes for... A strange conflict of interest if you consider Measure 112, which is passing by about 56%, which amends the Constitution to remove language allowing slavery and involuntary servitude as punishment for a crime, which translated another way says if people in prison are performing jobs, they have to be paid for it. Okay, so no slavery. But you must provide health care at this price. Right. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just okay. like, okay. Uh, ask yourself that question. How does that jive? <laughs> so anyway, uh, we'll see how the election shakes out. 
at the end of the day, hey, were the markets up or down today? Up? They were up. Sort of. A little sort bit. Of. Yeah, I mean, they kind of all over. I mean, they mm-hmm. trended up and down and up and down, but they finished positive. Yep. Yesterday, down a little bit. Yep. Right? But not much. Last week, up big. Yes. Okay? And what did we suggest on this program last week? What did we figure the markets were, were going to say about the outcome of the election? I didn't listen last <laughs> week, so I'm not <laughs> yeah. sure. They, they don't really care. Yeah. Right? I mean, right. I think the market got most of what it wanted, which was a split between the House and Senate. Right. And even though that's that's not assured, right, that's not confirmed yet, but it's that was sort of what it's hoping for is general gridlock creates higher levels of predictability in Washington, D.C. Right. Right? Just think about it. Yeah, we can't get crap done. Oh, good. Well, at least I know what's coming down the pike. Right. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> so I'll just work with what I got. Right. As soon as people get in there and go, we've got a mandate for change, businesses start to go, okay, what kind of change did you have in mind? And it's interesting. I was, I was speaking with a local vintner uh, right before the show, and he was explaining to me how uh, they're trying to do economic projections on a multi-year basis because the cycle for producing wine is a multi-year process between picking and processing and actually producing the end product. So determining how much product that you are going to produce needs to match the economy and the agricultural output and so forth. It was pretty sophisticated stuff. And I got to thinking, huh, what a what a tough spot to be in for these guys, because <laughs> I'm not sure how you can predict any of this. And if you get a whole new regime that comes in and says, meanwhile, let's change it all, too. Drink more wine. I, I could see. Well, that that's um, in certain circles. That is simply the solution. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not, not necessarily advocating for that. Uh, but, uh, you know, be responsible and enjoy. So, of course. There you go. Well, look. There are some things that we there are other elephants in the room today. The election is behind us. The markets have largely uh, moved on like mm-hmm. we figured they would. Uh, if we had to flip a coin, where do you I mean, if next this time next Tuesday, higher or lower than we are today? Oh, and by the way, nobody. This is a guess, just so you know. But but what's what's your what's your gut tell you, Justin? Lower. Yeah, from today. I, I agree. It's just doesn't quite make sense. Mm-hmm. You're like the market's getting a little optimistic when nothing's material changed, thinking, well, maybe because well, I'll put I'll put this all together here. CPI came in a little cooler, and therefore the markets should go up. And you think, did you just say to me that prices are coming down, therefore the market should go up? Mm-hmm. Kinda. Sort of. Kinda. What does it all mean? And how does it relate to Bitcoin? All of that and more, but we got to take a break. (laughs) All right. So stick around and we're going to cover that. CPI, market rise, Bitcoin, and more. Well, we'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn and Justin Bruggeman. You got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEA. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with... Justin Bruggeman. And we're reminding you, you can get caught up by grabbing the podcast. If you have not done this recently, 
you can certainly go to like your favorite iTunes or other podcast venues. They've got it on like the, you know Google Play Store and all that. Or you can just go to our webpage, right? If you go to littlejohnfs.com, you can listen through the webpage as well. So if you want to catch this show or past shows and see uh, what we've been up to, that is all available. Plus, the law says we have to do that. That's a stupid <laughs> Mad Max reference from back in the day. So I'm officially dating myself. Uh, so, first of all, Justin, what does uh, CPI, rising markets, and crashing Bitcoin all have in common? CPI, rising, rising markets, and crashing Bitcoin have in common? Yeah. Chaos. Yeah, the answer was, it's recent. Yeah, yeah and recent. <laughs> Uh, let's unpack a little bit here. So markets have been drifting higher. Uh, market bottomed in June. And mm -hmm. when I talk about the market, what I'm going to use as a proxy right now is the S&P 500. But I realize you may watch the Dow or the NASDAQ or some other index or just your own investment portfolio. Uh, but, but we're going to just sort of use the S&P 500 today as our baseline, if you will, sort of our benchmark. So bottoms out in June, right? Kind of runs a little higher, uh, has a solid July and August, then a really rough September, right. and then has this late October, and really an October, so it just kind of has a great month in October, mm -hmm. and then fades a little bit early November, and then spikes last Thursday. Right. Right? So we had like a 5 6 7% move in the major indexes last yeah. week. A little bit of follow through on Friday, soft Monday, and now higher today. So to give you an idea, the S and P five hundred I think bottomed out somewhere in the high thirty four hundreds, like thirty four ninety eight. Okay, and I'm I'm just pulling this off the top of my head. You're gonna, you're gonna look it up, aren't you? I am gonna look it up. Uh, in October, I think is where it. But June it got pretty low, so it's like you know down there below thirty five hundred at one point. And today it traded above four thousand. It's a pretty material move, right? And the the question is like, why did everything change? This is where CPI matters, mm -hmm. right? So, first of all, what's CPI? Uh, it's the inflation index of goods, right? The Consumer Price index. index, basket of goods and services that we track. Two different versions of it, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Doesn't one include rent and mortgage, and the other doesn't? Sort of, yeah. Exactly so you've got like CPI and core CPI. Right. In core CPI, you remove food and energy. Food and energy, okay. right? And usually because gas prices fluctuate more, and there's some right. seasonality to them, and same with food prices and so forth. Although um, I like the simple definition: like, how do you measure inflation? How much stuff costs. Yeah, it's like, well, I look at what it used to <laughs> cost, used, and what yeah. does it cost now? I go, it's more. Okay, yeah. there's your inflation. Uh, as we've been measuring it, we saw, uh, I'm just going to kind of look at, do you want me to use core, or should we use total CPI? I feel like uh, total. I think total, too. Right? So let's just, this is just for, for novelty's sake of it. In the last six months... Now let's go for this year. It started this year in January. We had a CPI print of 7.12. Okay, so think in percentages. So that means the the 12 from 12 months earlier, so on December 31st of 2021, the consumer price index was 7.12% higher mm -hmm. than at the end of 2020. Correct. 
Okay, fast forward. So that's December. Let's go one quarter. Let's go to March. Right. So is that what we want? No. Let's. No. We need to go to the end of March, beginning of April. So March thirty mm-hmm. first to April first. That number had spiked to eight point five six percent. Okay. Now we can spike all the way to July. Now this we should kind of mention May dropped. Right. Not substantially. It went from eight point five six down to eight point two two. And then we started to talk about rate hikes, right? right? We peaked in July at 9% CPI. Then if we go to October, the most recent, well, not the most recent, but the end of quarter reading, we were down to 8.22 again, Mm -hmm. pretty much right out where we were in May. Mm -hmm. The last read that we got was on October 31st, 7.76. So it's down. Right, it's still up for the year. Right, but it's but it's come down off of its nine percent peak. Let's talk about the Federal Reserve for a little while. Okay. What is what do we most Justin? What do we most know about the the Federal Reserve? Like like what do they do in the economy mostly? They try to control the money supply. Uh huh. And by raising and decreasing interest rates, can then fuel the economy or slow down the economy. Exactly. So, and what and they what have they been doing for the last several months? Raising rates, raising trying to rates. slow down the economy. Raising rates, okay. And where are we? So, so and the the question is, how much longer? Yeah. Right. So, how much longer do we think it's going to go? How, how much longer do we think they can keep raising rates? Well, until the numbers show that what they're doing is working, which I think last estimates were through q1 of next year but right and when they saw so it's fun because you can actually see this um the next fed meeting is in 28 days Mm -hmm. right so we're expecting uh, and and here's probabilities okay uh this is fun because you can go to the uh the cme group which does they'll do basically futures contracts on the probability of a federal reserve rate increase okay and so Right now, they're looking at a December Fed meeting. They're pricing in an 85%, 85.4% probability that the Federal Reserve will raise rates by somewhere, it will end somewhere between 425 and uh, 450 in terms of rates. The, the current is 400 to 425. So that would suggest about a 50 basis point increase, right? And... I'm sorry, 85, yeah, 85% chance that, that we'll see things go up 50 basis points. There's a 14-something percent chance it'll go up 75 basis points. But we can actually look out even further out. So we could say, well, the next meeting would be in February. And it's, it's kind of split, whether it's a 25 basis point or uh, no basis point. You know, 25 to 50 basis points still on the table in february and if you want to go out even farther you got to march of 2023 where there's about a another 48 percent chance that they're saying that we'll have uh even more you know additional 25 to 50 basis points so it looks like they're still raising rates the markets are expecting that so why would the stock market be going up because i 
think it would if the Fed starts slowing down. It's better forward-looking of they're going to be done soon. Not that they're going to be done. Right. It's just it's going to slow down. Right. They're, the, they're going to reduce right. future pain. Right. Right. What if we just don't raise rates as much right. as we thought? Like instead of 75 basis point hikes, we can go 50. Or what if we could only go, what if we do 25? Mm-hmm. What if we don't have to raise rates at all? What if we just stop here and see what happens? Okay. So there, one of the w- tools that the Fed watches is CPI. Mm-hmm. Both core and another thing they look at is CPE, I believe, which is the consumer uh, or s- consumer expenditure index CEI, something like that. But it's what are people spending? Oh, okay, right. So, yeah. so that that's another uh, that they look at, and there are other tools as well. But what's the w- here's the one that they don't normally talk about, but they're kind of they're they're watching a lot. That is the second part of their mandate. It's not inflation, but it's sort of tragically linked to it right now. Unemployment? Unemployment. Mm-hmm. Good job, man. Because I didn't prep him for this. Gold so he's here going like, what's he going to say? Right. So the Because the, the, the Fed's got a dual mandate, right? right. What, what's their dual mandate? Slow the economy and... The fact that they are slowing the economy, then unemployment should increase. Yeah, see, I, I button hooked him on that because he's telling you what they're doing. But mm-hmm. so you know, the Fed's dual mandate is to uh, to create a stable inflation okay. rate. So right. their target is a two percent inflation rate. So they're 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 if, if inflation is too high, they want to tamp that back down. If it's too low, they want to stimulate to get to a two percent inflation rate. And then the other is to maintain full employment. Right. And full employment is approximately a 5% unemployment rate, mm-hmm. is has that, how that's historically been defined. And unemployment's been less than that. Right. So they're watching to see if the job market will move. Why do you think that is? Don't know. <laughs> I mean, so again, because for our it listeners, would be slowing. well, how do people get money in their hands? Right. Work. Right? Now, and, and work. What was the very first thing? So what is the Fed's job? They are controlling the money supply. Right. That's an indirect mechanism for Ooh. impacting money supply. <laughs> right? right? Okay. One of the truest indicators of whether or not inflation is sticky, meaning it's likely to, res- to remain, part of that equation is going to be wage inflation. Right. Okay. So let's let's play this experiment out a little bit. How many times have you heard of somebody getting a pay cut at their job? Almost never. Almost never. It's not. A, it, and and there's there's a mechanical reason for right. It is really really demoralizing. Mm-hmm. Terrible for morale if you start cutting wages. Everybody starts looking for other opportunities because it just it, that smells bad. Right. Different if you're in a commission right. environment, right? But when people's salary or hourly wage starts to be cut, that's a bad sign. Mm-hmm. Okay. Reference for a moment, Silicon Valley. Okay. Has anybody paid attention to the announcements from major tech companies lately? Layoffs. Layoffs. Big numbers, mm-hmm. right? 
So Elon Musk buys Twitter, lays off about half right. of the people. So they had, I think, what I don't remember if it was seven thousand employees, and he and he, he cut thirty five hundred jobs. I think, I think that's what it was. I think they had seven thousand employees, something like that. But then you've heard recently, um, Meta, formerly mm-hmm. Facebook, or the as they say the parent company of Facebook, right? <laughs> Eleven thousand jobs. Yeah. Google, right, or Alphabet, parent company of Google, is cutting jobs. Mm-hmm. And I think somewhere in the neighborhood of, I, I, I want to say it's 10,000, don't quote me on it. Amazon announced mm-hmm. expecting 10,000 layoffs. It's a lot of layoffs. That is a lot. Okay. Think about, as a, for, put on your hat for a minute and be a manager at a company, okay? You're, you're in human resources and you're trying to figure out, how do I manage wage inflation? Okay. Now, <laughs> the first thing you have to do is you can't just scream corporate greed. Okay, like maybe that's part of it, but you, you can't just scream that. You're in it, right? You're you're ground zero, and you got to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Layoffs are not ideal. No. Okay, but if you're faced with the option of I could try to get everybody to take a pay cut, or look to your left, look to your right, somebody's not going to be here tomorrow. And you're going to bet you better put the effort forth. Right. right? So, you know, the workforce gets trimmed. The people remaining are a little shaken, but they still have their pay and they feel like they probably better, you know, show up. And I mean, if, if you know, it may impact morale. It's probably going to make you look over your shoulder and be a little agitated. Right. You know, it's going to change the culture. When are the next layoffs coming? Right. I mean, it definitely changes the culture. But. You didn't take a pay cut, and and that's kind of there was an old joke, right? You know what the difference between a um, recession and a depression is? Whether you're still working or not. Yeah, in a <laughs> recession, your neighbor loses the job, right? In a depression, it's you. You're right. Okay, and so that, it's pretty brutal, but it's pretty real. Um, there, there is a silver lining to the job losses. It's not. It's very silver, right? But if we're, we're like, we'll do the best to make lemonade out of it. But yes, as you can tell by the music, we'll talk about it right after this break. Stick around. We'll be back. This is Dave Littlejohn and Justin Brogerman. You got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Show. Justin, how you holding up? I'm doing great. I'm doing <laughs> it's great. Like, it's like, I'll make it. This is, it's probably. Like it, this has got to be the your favorite part of the job, right? Of course, absolutely. <laughs> Just is probably the most introvert on our team, but I drag him on every now and because you know what, it builds character. It does. It does. <laughs> Plus, I want everybody to know that you're a real person. It brings me out of my shell. It does. So, and every now and then I'm out of town. I'm like, all right, you got to tag in. Yeah. It's like, oh man, at least I know how to work the board. Yep. Um. Right, I, I promised you guys, and if you're again, if you're just joining us, right? If you've been listening somewhere else, and now you're, you, you know, you're, you're for whatever reason, you're in the car or whatever, you want to grab the podcast on these, right? You get caught up and you can catch the rest of because the show kind of all flows from one spot to another. Some some of these uh, scenarios, they're like you listen to a program and they have these little episodes and mini interviews and so forth, and it's just. That's not how we do this. It's not segment by segment. It all ties together. Mm-hmm. So go to our website at littlejohnfs.com, grab the podcast. Here's where we where we left off. It was Silicon Valley laying people off and how layoffs 
while they have a cultural impact, there is a small silver lining to this. Uh, and it and it's one of these where you, you have to kind of wear your general hat and not your lieutenant hat, right? I've said this a lot. It's gruesome, but it's just it's so real that it brings the analogy home quickly, right? Lu- generals send troops to battle, okay? Lieutenants send their friends, okay? It's very personal because you're training with them. The general, it's, it's not personal. It's like I'm sending assets to engage in a dangerous environment. They're not all coming back. Right. They know what's happening, but... It is more arm's length. The lieutenant's right there in the weeds, right? So when you're the one that's getting laid off, you're in the trenches. It's miserable. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I don't want to be insensitive to that. Okay? So I'm not advocating like, yeah, let's just have layoffs. It's great. No, it's terrible. But let's talk about what it means economically. One of the biggest costs to companies on average is payroll. Yes. It is a huge chunk of overhead. And that payroll cost, when you have wage inflation, that is a rapidly escalating cost for companies. Now, again, if you're stomping up and down corporate greed, corporate greed, I'm like, okay, we have to talk about it per circumstance. But remember, the vast majority of corporations in this country are not even publicly listed. They're not in the stock market. Right. Okay, they're small businesses, and that's not the corporate greed that you're needing to to damage. Okay, you want to talk about a super mega corp that ships all their production overseas, does it at slave labor wages, and brings it back and you know to profit on it. Yeah, I get it. You know, they're talking about the shareholders more than the the workers. Okay, but that's not this conversation. This conversation is about how. When wages go up, it squeezes a lot of small businesses, the mom-and-pop shops, a ton. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, can they afford to survive as wages disproportionately shoot up? Like, what does it mean when local fast food restaurants are paying people $17, $18, $19 an hour? It doesn't mean that all of a sudden Taco Bell is a living wage job, right? It means everything gets more expensive, right? right? The $5 meal is now a $10 meal at Taco Bell. They don't have $5 meals anymore. That's the point, right? In fact, here's a funny thing. I've often thought, this is a new one, mark it on the calendar, right? We're going to, because it probably exists somewhere, but I'm going to like take take credit for it because I haven't ever found somebody else do it. I believe that you have to have like there's a ratio between the cost per hour for somebody to work and the cost of the value menu right okay. if the value menu costs more than a dollar of work that dog don't hunt okay <laughs> and so oh well now we're $16 an hour then the value meal can be like $12 mm-hmm. it's still less than an hour of work not a lot less but that's kind of the trade mentality it's like, well, if I paid all the taxes and took all the stuff out, about what's left, well, one hour should be the cost of our value menu. And I just go, well, that does not seem like a value if the employee is going to eat there, but whatever. <laughs> you know, That's an expensive trade right there. Well, one hour of your shift is to feed you, and the rest of it is so that you can keep that money. And then you realize that drives inflation. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, the question is, is, well, does it drive inflation or is it a symptom of inflation? Uh, neither one of it's an unvirtuous circle right Right. (laughs) like higher wages 
means the business has to raise the cost of everything else because the input costs went up, right. which is inflationary in nature, which means the higher wages buy less. And so it's it's a problem, right? And so when you have rapidly increasing inflation, it's very destabilizing to the economy. Mm-hmm. That's why the Federal Reserve is raising rates like crazy. But raising rates does what? Stabilize the economy. Yeah, but it yanks money out of the system. Right which destabilizes the economy. It, well, yeah. it it's deflationary pressure, right? right? Um, if you don't believe me, well, are you going to pay more for a house today than you did a year ago with rates more than double what they were a year ago? A lot more. <laughs> no, because <laughs> you can't. Right? You can't borrow as much money to buy the house now. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think I was asking. Inflation, yes, everybody's asking for more. Right. But can buyers afford more? No. Maybe I should have asked Sorry, it that yeah. way. Right? I, I think I set him up. That yeah. wasn't fair. Yeah, buyers can't afford more. You can't qualify for more. Right. Right? So, and wages haven't increased enough that all of a sudden you can pay for, you know, 25% more for the same right. housing circumstance, especially when rates have decreased your purchasing power so much. Right. So it's going to have an effect, right? You crank up the cost of capital, it's going gonna, it's gonna to crush things. And what will happen is the layoffs are they're, they're what's going to prove to the Federal Reserve that it's working. Right. And they right? won't stop until yeah. it happens. It won't just be the CPI declining. Right. Okay. And that, I think, is the, the, the reason that when Justin and I – don't, don't let me put words in your mouth. You got to defend yourself on this one, right? But when when I asked you, do you think we're higher or lower in a week? Mm-hmm. My take is we're really not any different than we were a week ago. That yes, the CPI print came in lower, which is an indication that it's working. But I don't think that's nearly enough data for the Fed to say, well, until we see. I mean, if I were the Fed, I would say, great, we see a lower print. But until I see jobs change, I need to be careful because it, there could be seasonality, mm-hmm. there could be storms or other events that have impacted these numbers. There could be a lot of things that I don't yet know. And so I need to see data trend, not right. data point. Right. And if I'm the Fed, I'm saying I do not want to imply that we are done here because if the market starts to get ambitious and people start driving things again or spending in anticipation, even if they're doing so on credit, it could re-inflate things and put the Fed back in the position of, great, now we have to raise rates and it's going to hurt even more. The Fed, believe it or not, doesn't want a recession. Right. Like, the, the, the Fed doesn't. It's it's not in anybody's best interest per se. However, the Fed is willing to endure that if it must. Right. Okay. So that is the uh, the interesting scenario here. Now, I made one other commitment at the beginning of the show. <laughs> Bitcoin. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Bitcoin. Yes. And so in the backdrop of all of this is this question of, what does it mean for Bitcoin? Which is, if Bitcoin price doesn't change in about the next two weeks, it will be at a five-year low. Mm-hmm. Okay, when less than twelve months ago it was at an all-time high. 
So what the heck is going on with Bitcoin and this market? And it wasn't Bitcoin supposed to be a hedge against inflation, but it's going down. And wait, all right, look, we're going to spend a few minutes. And if you don't know what Bitcoin is, eh, just come along for the ride. But we got to take this last break first. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Justin Bruggeman. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. Hey, that's my job. I'm supposed to say the call sign, right? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to the True Wealth Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with Justin Bruggeman. All right, crew, we're on the home stretch. And if there's one thing I know all of you out there have been asking about every day, this is all you can think about, probably not true at all. Bitcoin. Okay. We hear about it. Um, Raise your hand unless you're driving if you know what Bitcoin is. Okay. All right. It's a trick question. Because if I said, have you heard of Bitcoin? Yes. If you haven't heard of Bitcoin, you live under a rock. Okay. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean you're not lovable. You just live under a rock. Okay. But so Bitcoin's everywhere. Um, You know, I don't really care if you know how it works. We're not going to go into the whole. This is you know, KQEN about, oh, Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. Exchanges and there's different. No, no. Okay, let's just say this Bitcoin was supposed to be like digital gold, right? Right? Because you, there's only going to be so much Bitcoin in existence ever because of the way it was designed. It's an algorithm that says there's only this much that can exist. Once we're done mining all of it, this is it. Mm-hmm. So it's like I liken it to like a video game that has a defined ending, but once it's over, everybody still gets to keep their little piece of the game. Right. Okay. And you can trade those pieces around for each, with each other, and you can decide if you're willing to buy the pieces from other people. And that's kind of what it is. Uh, I my my opinion is going to totally shine through when I say <laughs> it's basically in my mind it's vapor. Like there's not a tangible thing that backs it up. It's entirely and then and again, Bitcoin lovers stomp up and down, right? right. And and they say, no, it's you know the it's just no worse than fiat currency. That's based on faith and credit, and that's there's that's all vapor too. You go, yeah, that's not inaccurate. There is one big difference in my mind between fiat currencies and Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies in general. That it's regulated? Well, no. That's, I mean, I think that's part of what stabilizes it. But this is this is a silly one. I don't expect you to guess it. And some of our listeners, you've probably heard me say it before if you listen regularly. But this is a goofy one. All right, here's the difference. Fiat currency has guns. Right? Governments have militaries. And so they can defend the currency right. essentially by pointing the gun at you and saying, you're going to use this right. or you won't use something else. Right. And so unless it's an underground economy and you're willing to break the law and flirt with those guns being trained on you, then largely you kind of go, OK. And so that's what you do. Now, this is not intended to be a big political statement, but there should be this moment of like, Huh. Because just because a whole bunch of people agree across borders to utilize a currency doesn't mean a government can't compel you not to. Mm -hmm. You don't believe me. Look at China. 
right? China says no Bitcoin. That doesn't mean people can't own it underground, but it means they're going to have to leave China to use it. And it means they're risking what would happen if you are caught and they wanted to make an example of you. Penalty? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It could get ugly, right? And 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 China, not the most sterling record for for uh, being concerned about human rights. Yes. Okay. So consider that if the currency can't defend itself, it's entirely based on the crowdsource concept and the idea that you can find somewhere that it will be acceptable to do this. And and the problem is, it's become the wild west. Why am I bringing this up? If you have paid attention to the news and know much about Bitcoin, here's what's been interesting. Bitcoin, up until a couple of months ago, had largely moved in in lockstep with the stock market in terms of it went up when the markets went up mm-hmm. and it went down when the markets went down. Right, So it was highly correlated to the risk-on, risk-off behavior of the stock market. But that has really sort of fractured in the last couple of months. Bitcoin has become kind of all over the board. It was originally supposed to be a hedge against inflation. And when inflation was going up at the beginning of the year, remember we were talking about 8 9% print for CPI? And Bitcoin was going up toward all-time highs at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Got up to over $60,000 for a, a unit or for a, for a Bitcoin unit. Okay. Today, we were just looking at it over the break. $16,000 yeah, something. A little bit over $16,000. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough... In late November, early December of 2017, I specifically remember having conversations around this because Bitcoin had rocketed up Mm -hmm. from below $7,000 to over $17,000. So we are below the year end of 2017 pricing right now. And most of that decline, in fact, all of that decline has happened this year. Right. Right. It peaked this year. Uh, Or maybe it peaked in late 2020. It might have been November, but but uh, nevertheless, it's it's had a meteoric decline, mm-hmm. right? So it's just free fall. Well, there was a particular event last week that really set this off, and it has destabilized the crypto market a lot, and it's still being unraveled. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that was the FTX bankruptcy. Okay, we're not going to go into it a great deal here, other than to say that this was a super big noteworthy player in the cryptocurrency market. Wasn't it like the fourth largest, I think is what I read? It was something huge. And it had become sort of a conglomerate because Mm -hmm. it had other sub-companies or entities that it Mm -hmm. had underneath it. It had loans out to other organizations. It had a lot of political payola. Bunch Mm -hmm. of money had been funneled back into political campaigns and so forth. And so all of that is getting unraveled right now. But billions of dollars have apparently been stolen or gone missing Vanished. and invest billions <laughs> yeah. right you know and i've heard numbers like in excess of 8 billion mm-hmm. uh, or more and so this was not trivial now crypto i think was uh, the whole marketplace was somewhere like you know 800 850 billion it was trying to approach a trillion dollar market cap mm-hmm. so it's not that it, it was that big compared to the total market of crypto, but it was big enough to create an echo through the whole system because the lack of regulation became very, very apparent. And so it has damaged the trust in that marketplace. 
materially. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it shakes out, but I know a lot of players are having a bad day. Right. Okay. And so, of course, it gets me back to the home base of one of the most basic things in investing. Invest in what you understand. Right. Okay. Or work with people investing in things they understand. But if it's, you know, vapor is a tough thing, right? <laughs> you, you, I was, it's don't invest in vapor, right? That's um, ideas only, but no actual like stuff, right? You know, some people may say, well, what about intellectual property? Okay, careful. I know a lot of people that try to sell IP and end up holding nothing. So, my gosh, the music already. I cannot believe it, but we're out of time. That, like, blew by. Okay. Hey, pop quiz, Justin. What's the office phone number for people to reach us? 541-375-0898. All right. You get to keep your job. All right. So more wage inflation for Justin. Until next time, (laughs) thanks for tuning in. This has been Dave Littlejohn. And Justin Brogerman. You've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.